we start with the increasing pressure on hospital emergency rooms across British Columbia, especially at small town hospitals in BC. We've seen a lot of this recently. Small town emergency rooms shutting down. They don't have enough staff. They don't have enough doctors, enough nurses. So emergency rooms just locking the door. You've got an emergency? Too bad. You better get in your car and hit the road to another town. Lots of mayors speaking out about this this morning. Two of them standing by right now. Have a listen to this here first. Martin Johansson here, the mayor of Oliver, B.C. Have a listen. Well, my biggest concern is a collapse of the healthcare system. We're definitely in crisis here. We're now encroaching on 5,000 patients being unattached. So what that does is it puts extra workload on the emergency department because your only access to healthcare is to go to the emergency department or go up to Penticton. Yeah, but what if your emergency department is shut down like we have seen in many towns recently? Let's talk to two local mayors who have experienced this in their communities. Gabby Wickstrom, the mayor of Port McNeil on Vancouver Island. Gabby, thank you for coming on today. Thank you for having us. Appreciate it a lot. Also on the line is Merlin Blackwell. He is the mayor of Clearwater, B.C. Merlin, thank you. Good morning, Mike, and great to be on again. Okay, it's great to have you both here. Gabby Wickstrom, let me go to you first. Can you tell me the situation in Port McNeil with your emergency room? What's happening there? Well, we have either service disruptions or uh, ER closures. So a service disruption will mean that there is enough staff to skeletal staff the ER. If you walk in, you can come in. But if any uh, ambulance services are needed, then they are um, diverted to Port Hardy. So that's, that's where we're at. We've probably had about eight or ten, perhaps more. You, you know, after a while, you lose track of, uh, of the, the messages that come out, um, yeah, since the beginning of the year. So it's not been great. What are you hearing from the people in your community when this happens? Well, they're frustrated. Um, yeah. Communication is another thing. So how do we get the information out? And, and we had a forum with Island Health and it was really good. So it answered a lot of our, our community's questions. But one of the biggest things is communication when there is a service disruption or a closure. How do we find out? What if I'm not on Facebook? Uh, there's not a marquee in town, you know, that we can post this kind of stuff. So how do people find out when they're in an emergency situation so that they don't use up precious time heading to the hospital and they go straight to the hospital they need to? Okay, let me check in with Merlin Blackwell now, the mayor of Clearwater. They've had a lot of emergency room shutdowns there as well, including, was it on the weekend? Was the emergency room shut down again there, Merlin? Yeah, uh, actually it shut down again this morning. Uh, We did a 24-hour closure from Saturday night to Sunday night, and then last night at 9 o'clock I got a closure notice saying that we've actually still been closed and will be closed till 7 p.m. tonight as well. So that's 21 closures in this calendar year alone. 21 times this has happened in your community. The emergency room has been shut down. This year. That's just January 1st. It's probably another dozen. Uh, This really started last fall, uh, October, November. Um, So, uh, you know, we're basically over a calendar month in probably the last eight months. Why is that? Why is it happening? What is the explanation that has been given to you? Uh, the biggest thing right now is a, is a shortage of RNs. We're short four RNs with uh, with uh, ER qualifications. The nurses have to have the special ER qualification to work there. Uh, we've got an incredible housing crisis here. We're in the middle of a Trans Mountain uh, housing project. 
or <laughs> pipeline project. And right now, a four bedroom house will rent for seventy five hundred bucks a month in town. Um, wow. we don't, we're short. We're short a couple of LPNs as well. And, and a big one for us is we have this rotating door of lab and X ray techs because when you're in a small town. If you are the lab tech, you're the only one, so you're on 24-hour call. Same with the x-ray tech. So there's a quality of life issue that's happening for these people and a burnout rate that's probably happening uh, at a faster rate than you'd find it in a city where there is at least the opportunity for somebody to spell you off. Port McNeil, Mayor Gabby Wickstrom, is that a familiar story to you there in Port McNeil? Or are you suffering the, the, the same problems that are driving the shutdowns there? Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah. Island Health was very open about the fact that they're understaffed right now and that they're trying to fill those positions. They want to be overstaffed. They don't want to be in this position. And we have economies of scale. So if two or four people are not working in a hospital, you know, in, across this across the province, that can mean a 50% reduction in staff. So it's it's not the same as if you're in a larger center and you have even 10 people out. They just borrow them from other floors and move it around. They're still burnt out. They're still working really hard. The other thing is a temporary agency worker gets paid, and this is for doctors and nurses, they get paid better. So we have to change. That job is more attractive uh, than, than the regular position in a hospital. And so we've got to change that. We have to make that position just as attractive so people don't want to go and work for, for a temp agency instead because they get paid from the time that they leave their house. They get travel time, they get meals, and they get accommodation. How can you compete with that? So, and Island Health or the health authorities have to pay these temp agencies a fee as well. So it isn't about the money. Speaking of small-town mayors about their local hospital emergency rooms shutting down, lack of staff, Gabby Wickstrom, mayor of Port McNeil, Merlin Blackwell is the mayor of Clearwater. All right, what do you think should be done? We've got the, pro- the, the country's premiers are actually gathering today in Victoria, and I suspect that some of these health care crises will be right near the top of the agenda. And I can predict that they are going to be pointing a finger at the federal government and saying we want more money from the feds to fix this. But Merlin Blackwell, like, what would be your message to the premiers, the health ministers at, at both levels of government right now? Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't always agree with John Horgan, but he's dead on on this one that we need more federal money. I, I hate to say it, we're in such a crisis right now that money is going to solve this issue. Um, I, I put out 11 ideas, thoughts, solutions on my Twitter just before coming on your show. Uh, One off the top right away is there are a lot of people in this province that have the RN, uh, LPN, uh, doc training that are sitting on the sideline, lab techs as well, that have opted out of this because of, in the past, toxic workplace environments, lack of pay, burnout. And we need to incentivize these people to come back to work uh, with that training. Training new people is going to take four, eight, ten years. There are a lot of people sitting this one out that if you sweeten the deal enough, you allow them to come back as part-timers, um, they can come help the situation out. And and, and Gabby's absolutely right on, on the thing with the agency nurses and the locum doctor system. That is, We were already in a two-tier medical system here. Uh, between yeah. those two and telus, uh, telehealth, they are drawing so many good people away from the main um, GP programs and things like that. 
um, that they're sucking the system dry. But that comes back down to the system that we have right now does not let people have a good lifestyle. And quality of life is an uh, issue for all the modern people. Gabby Wickstrom, what would you say to, the, to fix this? We've actually been speaking with Dr. Granger Avery. He is the associate director with the Rural um, uh, Coordination Centre of BC, also a recent Order of Canada recipient. And he talks about a, um, a, a blended model of healthcare, so blended funding instead of siloed. Um, a patient-centric health care. I mean, he's been working on rural issues for quite some time, and I think that he would be a great person to engage right. in this. We're the forgotten stepchild. You know, we really need to band together, and I think this is where it is, and, and the reason why I suggested Merlin come on with me, because it isn't island, it isn't interior, it's all of B.C., right. and when the funding comes, the major centres are going are to be first at the trough, and they've got the most votes, and they'll probably get the money. What, what about the... The vaccine mandate for healthcare workers. Uh, the the official opposition Liberal Party here in BC has called for that mandate to be dropped. Merlin Blackwell, would you think that would make a difference if you had to drop that vaccine requirement? No, um, in our town okay. we we lost four people uh, to the vaccine mandate. None of them were LPNs, L, uh, RNs, and those things. But yeah. I will say that the local anti-vax community is taking that as an opportunity to beat up, uh, abuse, uh, harass local care workers, local media, uh, online, and, and occasionally in person at the hospital, and it is not helping the situation. We're, we're in this balance right now where, you know, uh, uh, Gabby and myself, we're talking about our communities, and we don't want to portray them as crises because we still need to get people to come here, and it's this balance yeah. of, of going, you know, Clearwater, uh, Port McNeil, they're wonderful places. There's so much to do here. It's a beautiful community. As Gabby said, I need four people to fix the solution, this problem right now. All I need is four, and we're stable. We get back to a good workplace environment. We get back to okay. good scheduling. Um, that's, that's, that's how small the problem is. That's how big the problem is. All right, welcome back. Let's talk about the aftermath and the fallout now from last week's Rogers service failure. It happened on Friday, knocking out cell service for 10 million Canadians, disrupting businesses, banking, 911 emergency response services. It's the second major Rogers service disruption in recent months. And no, it wasn't another cyber attack like a lot of people thought. The company's saying this is on them. They had a a service disruption because of a, a system upgrade that knocked out all the routers. Okay, how do we fix this now? A lot of people saying this should be a wake-up call for mobility networks in Canada. Show they need to be reformed. Do we need more competition in this country? We've got a great analyst coming up on that. But first, let's talk about how this service disruption hit small business on Friday and how they were forced to scramble to deal with it. Robin Delaney is my guest. Robin is the founder of Delaney's Coffee House in North Vancouver. Hey, Robin, thanks for coming on. You're welcome, Mike. Okay, when did this uh, hit? Like, when you were at the coffee shop, when did you notice something was wrong on Friday? Uh, first, first thing Friday morning, actually. I was kind of alerted when I went to use my own phone, and I was texting some folks, and I couldn't. It was the... It, nothing was connecting. So when I walked in the store, there was a whole bunch of people that were upset with us because they couldn't use their interact card. Uh, but we'd already started the IOU system, but we've had the IOU system in place for, for some time. So when any of our regular customers come in and they've forgotten their wallet or whatever, uh, we'll catch them tomorrow or the following day. But it's kind of what I think a small business is really all about. I love it. I think that's awesome. So let's talk about those IOUs. So you had all these customers coming in. 
normally they would want to pay with their with their debit card, right? So you couldn't take any debit. I couldn't take any debit, and yeah. and um, a number of people had their um, credit cards hooked onto their phone, and they couldn't access that as well. So it yeah. wasn't just debit customers. So it, it impacted. Uh, it impacted. I think it impacted everybody dramatically. Okay, so let's talk about the IOU. So anyone who couldn't pay, you just said, what did you say? Just pay me later? Well, we, we had, a, yeah, we had a, a two-system uh, program. Uh, w- w- sometimes we would uh, take their, their their name and what they had, but most, many times we simply said, listen, John, uh, just catch us yeah. tomorrow. If, if, it's, if we don't see you on Saturday, we'll catch you at the start of the week. So um, the... Uh, we had exceptional uh, success. S- Saturday and Sunday were a lot busier than normal, simply because the people who weren't normally in on a Saturday and Sunday came in to pay pay their IOUs. So uh, <laughs> I would say that we were not out of pocket uh, by anybody at all in any of our But it's, it's a great. It. It's, it, it, but it's kind of why the local businesses now are doing so much better than we ever have before because. Um, a lot of people are just supporting the, the small local little guy. It's, sure, it, sure, that's the big great. Guy's not doing this. How much do you figure? How many IOUs do you figure you accepted overall in, in dollar terms? Um, at least, in, I'm thinking it'd be, be seventy-five to ninety. I'm, I'm familiar with in uh, in Edgemont Village and our other stores in, in Dunray Village, or even in our our Demon store. It, it, it would vary anywhere from 10 to 50, I would think. But many times it wasn't even written down as an IOU. They would just come in the following day and square up with their bill. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. And then you figure people are honest, you know. I mean, most most people are honest. If they come in, they'll pay you, right? If, if you give people a chance, they do show yeah. that they appreciate it, uh, that, that you respect them and uh, their credit's good, that, but to be to be truthful, Mike, we have done this for a long time. We, we're not going to do it for somebody we've never ever seen before and never likely to see again. But for yeah. anyone that we that we've had business with, there, we'll be happy to do this for them. Yeah. What about the Starbucks down the street from you? Were they taking IOUs? <laughs> not at all. Oh, okay. That, that was one of the that was a, the funny part when uh, one of our customers actually went into uh, Starbucks in Edgemont, and uh, I don't know if it was his interpretation, but when they said, "No money, no coffee for you," <laughs> so that was a little sign sign uh, Seinfeld uh, humor. But I yeah. honestly can't say I wasn't th- present. Uh, in Starbucks when that went on. But uh, anyway, obviously a big corporation like Starbucks and all the other big guys, they can't do that. It just doesn't work. That's once again, it's the joy of running a a small family business. Yeah. I I suspect maybe you picked up some new customers. Do you think maybe if they couldn't, if they couldn't get an IOU at Starbucks, come down to your place for the first time, maybe. Absolutely. Um, So ultimately, you're, thank you. You're you're right. We have picked up other <laughs> other customers because nice. Uh, yeah, it's, what goes around comes around. So we we were honored with everyone paying their bills, and hopefully, we picked up a, a bunch more customers. Good for you, Robin. Thanks for coming on to share the story. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, Mike. Take All care. right. Thank you, Robin Delaney. There, he's the founder of Delaney's Coffee House in North Vancouver. And the hundreds of dollars worth of IOUs they accepted there on Friday from their customers.
during the Rogers system failure. All right, let's talk about uh, who's to blame here. Let's have a listen to the Rogers CEO, Tony Staffieri, apologizing here and explaining what went wrong. Let's have a listen. We have it. I apologize. We all here at Rogers apologize for the outage. We've narrowed the cause to a network system failure. We had a maintenance upgrade in our core network, and that caused our routers to malfunction. Okay. Let's discuss now with my guest, David Soberman, marketing professor at the Rotman School of Management at the University of Toronto. Very pleased to welcome him. David, thank you for coming on today. Hello, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for doing this. What do you think of that explanation there from the Rogers CEO? It sounds like this was some sort of internal failure that, wow, it sort of knocks the entire country offline. That's incredible. It's not very convincing, and it makes you really worry about the confidence of the people running the organization, especially when it's happened to that particular company twice in 14 months, and neither Bell nor TELUS have had such a problem. Yeah, yeah, this is the second one in 14 months, and that's a, a major outage. I, I just find it extraordinary you could have an internal malfunction like that can knock the entire network off. So you think there's something else going on here that the company's not disclosing? or It's hard to say, but what I would yeah. say is even based on the truthfulness of what they're saying, so let's assume it's true, it's still scary. First yeah. of all, how can you possibly have a maintenance update that knocks out your system. It first yeah. makes you wonder about the stability of their system. And also, would you not think that with a service that is as important as mobile phones and internet, that you would have some sort of a backup? Um, it's almost as if they have somebody sort of doing updates whenever they please, and they don't really have any control or understanding of what's going on and what the risks are with the actual operations they're taking on. Okay, we've got the federal government here saying that they're they're planning to meet with these uh, CEO of, of Rogers and and other other officials in, in telecom. What do you think that this incident, this event, uh, portends for for this industry? Do you think this is like a, a lot of people are saying this should be a wake up call here that we need major reform in, in wireless networking in Canada? Do you think so too? Uh, I think that perhaps um, there's two different issues here. One is the degree of competition and the high prices we're paying, which is one issue in and of itself that's of a concern to many Canadians. But the other is this the stability and the reliability of the systems upon which we depend. And I think one of the things for sure, and we sort of see this today, is the internet and the mobile phone network is an essential service, just like electricity, just like water. And the government is very involved in the legislation and in the regulations that control how those services are delivered and make sure that they're delivered on a regular basis to people. And in this particular case, um, there's probably insufficient regulation to ensure reliability for Canadians. Okay, that's very interesting. What do you think the federal government needs to do in that regard? Well, at the very least, uh, they should investigate and try to understand. I mean, why this happened to Rogers, why it's happened twice to Rogers, and why it hasn't happened either to Bell or TELUS. Like, those are sort of natural questions that you would want if you were trying to manage this industry. Why has it happened twice to A and not to B or C? And then perhaps to recommend to A, maybe you should do what B and C are doing, because obviously what you're doing isn't working. That being said, the other thing, too, that seems to be a potential fix for me 
is some degree of cooperation. If one of the major telecommunications providers has a breakdown, is there some way in which users of or customers of that particular company can be patched into the networks for the other systems or the other companies? Because, for example, if it was easy for Rogers customers to immediately be served, through the Bell network, then we would not have had the problem that we, we have. Right, so right. there's sort of multiple um, sort of venue, or m- multiple paths that could be considered by the government um, in terms of trying to ensure the reliability of the system for Canadians. All right. Talking about the Rogers service disruption on Friday, the CEO of the company apologizing for the service failure that impacted 10 million Canadian customers on Friday. Speaking to David Soberman from the University of Toronto, the phone lines are open 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your cell. Nick calling from San Francisco. Hi, Nick. Hey, Mike, love the show. Hey, I'm, I'm just a little north of San Fran, but I've been on about a month-long um, camping trip. Um, and when I decided to make this trip, I didn't want to use my Canadian telco while I was here because the cost was prohibitive. Yeah. So I just went, in, went into the local Verizon, and I bought a new SIM card. And for $65 US, I have unlimited North America talk and text and unlimited data. And so that's quite a bit cheaper than any plan. How does that compare? With, how does that compare to what you're paying at home? Well, I think I pay about a um, hundred dollars Canadian, and I'm I get twenty gigs of of data, and then it's throttled after that. Wow. And the data is where they get you, right? So you know, being able to have unlimited while on a trip like this is it's pretty great. Nick, thank you for calling in. I hope you enjoy your your vacay there. David, what do you think of that? Well, Nick's comments are definitely reflective of the high pricing that we pay here in Canada and the fact that even though ostensibly you've got three companies that are supposed to compete with with each other, they don't really compete and prices aren't really that competitive. They sort of match each other, but nobody really reduces price. And so there's a large literature about how price matching actually facilitates collusion. It seems that the government has, isn't really familiar with that literature because they haven't really done very much to cause or to get more competition in the telecommunications sector. And, and that's why we pay some of the highest prices in the world for our mobile telephone service. Keep calling me on this. 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 on your cell. Cameron in Vancouver. Hi, Cameron. What do you think? Hello. Uh, long-time fan and first-time caller. I actually have cool. two stories, if you have time. Uh, sure. Mexico. Um, I was, you know, we go there once a year, and um, the first year we went without cell service because the roaming plans were outrageous. It was going to be $300 for three weeks of roaming in Mexico. And then a friend said, why don't you just buy a SIM card? So yeah. I went to this little store called Osho, uh, which is like their 7-Eleven. The SIM card cost $3, $3 Canadian. Uh, and uh. then they had monthly plans. I bought a monthly plan card for 30 bucks. The monthly plan was unlimited North America-wide calling. Mexico, Canada, and the United States, and 
10 gigs of data for 30 bucks. Yeah. So I used it, and I have my own Mexican number. Now, the amazing part is I came back home after three weeks. I was very happy with the phone service. I got off the plane, picked up my luggage, and I just turned my phone on and started phoning my friends, hey, I'm back. And I just realized, this is the Mexican SIM card. It's working here. Oh. I couldn't believe it. So <laughs> I wanted to keep it, except all my friends would have to phone Mexico, and it would cost them four ninety nine a minute to get in touch oh. with me. <laughs> what a ripoff. Okay. So anyway, that's one. Do you have time for another story about Europe? A real, make it real quick, will you? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, be I'll do okay. my best. So uh, similar thing in Portugal. I bought a SIM card there. Yeah. And uh, it was incredibly cheap. It was around $20 for, I think, a month. And uh, it included five gigs of data. This was 2019. Um, so we used up all our data because we were streaming Netflix every night and everything. So I phoned them up. This was, um, uh, I can't remember the name of the company. It's a very famous one in Europe. Um, so I phoned them up. I said, I used all my data. Can I buy some more? They said, sure, Mr. Hood. So how much would you like? And I said, oh, I don't know, give us 10 gigs. So they said, okay, that's, uh, I think it was like 10 euros or something like oh, that. Oh, okay. So, um, okay, so- I, think, I think we get the drift uh, of the story, and I hate to cut it off, but we're just in the interest of time. Um, David, I think that in 20 seconds here, I think that shows, you know, are we getting hosed here in Canada? Your thoughts, 20 seconds. I absolutely would say we are. We don't really have a very competitive uh, industry here in Canada, and uh, for especially okay. for people that have a traveled abroad or lived abroad, they know that it's we're not getting a good deal here. So, David, I thanks for coming on. The, no Thank problem. You. All right, welcome back. Let's talk about that shocking bank robbery in suburban Saanich now near Victoria. The injuries to those brave police officers who charged to the scene with those bullets flying. It was just over two weeks ago now. Uh, we saw this all unfold outside that bank in Saanich on June 28th. 22-year-old twin brothers, Matthew and Isaac Octorloni, shot dead in a wild shootout. Six police officers injured in that shootout. The investigation well underway here now let's get an update now with my guest dean duthie the chief of the saanich police department i'm very pleased to welcome him to the show chief duthie thank you for coming on today oh good morning mike thank you very much for having me you bet thank you first of all let me say uh, please accept my thanks and support to to you and your and your people there for the bravery we saw with these police officers in this incident let me ask you about the um, the condition of the officers. Are there still officers in hospital at this point? Yeah, and and firstly, thank you so much for your uh, for your thoughts and support. Uh, as I mentioned previously, uh, the outpouring of support from the community has been uh, just amazing, and it's made all the difference for us as we continue to push forward forward day by day. Uh, the two officers we have in hospital are, are still there. But I'm uh, very pleased to report that uh, they they are making progress daily, albeit it's uh, small, uh, small and uh, slow progress. But it's moving in the right direction, which we're we're so grateful for. Okay, there hasn't been a lot of details released. We don't know the names of the officers, which which I think is fine. Um, what about the nature of their injuries? Are these these are gunshot wounds they're recovering from? Is that right? 
Yeah, like we all know, this this, this incident was uh, was just that. It was uh, involving multiple gunshots. Uh, so that's the injuries they are suffering from, or are, are yeah. directly in relation to gunshots. Right. And what is the prognosis there? Um, again, uh, we're getting updates as as much as possible through uh, the families and and those uh, those police officers and and uh, the medical teams that are on the case and the surgeons have been doing uh, miraculous work. It's again the long term prognos- prognosis. I, I I'm not sure of at this point because it is a very long journey uh, that both have to undergo in in their recovery process. Let's talk a little bit about the investigation that's underway here into this incident. What kind of update can you can you give us on that? Like, who is leading the investigation, and what can you disclose at this point? Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, the The investigation has been led throughout um, by the Vancouver Island Major Crime Unit, which is an integrated uh, section and uh, headed by the RCMP. So they they are. Uh, leading the investigation, they have several investigators working uh, full time on it, both from the island and uh, and the lower mainland. And really, that 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 stream uh, of this entire file is completely in their hands. So, uh, my focus right now is on our people and our our, our recovery and well being, both with the members in hospital and the whole organization. So, the information from the investigation uh, will come out of the RCMP and their uh, spokesperson mm-hmm. on that. As the chief of the department, like what kind of answers are are you looking for here in terms of the, this investigation, how this unfolded? Like, do do we know, for example, like what happened inside that bank before the before the shooting started? Yeah, that information um, is being closely looked at right now by the investigative team, and uh, I know I'm very confident that the many many of our questions, because I have the same that you have and that our communities have. Uh, will will be answered in time, and uh, there's many facets of this, uh, right from what you're saying, what happened inside the bank, uh, the questions, why that location, things like this, and and some uh, we will know, and and hopefully hopefully we'll we'll have them all answered. Speaking to Saanich Police Chief Dean Duthie about the the aftermath of the bank robbery in Saanich, the condition of those injured police officers. A lot of everyone has seen the dramatic video of officers charging toward the the gunshots here, just bravely putting their lives on the on the line here. Like, can you describe like how did that day unfold for you for you personally? How were you informed that this was going on? Yeah, thanks. It's uh, that's a great question. And uh, I was I was in a meeting when this happened, and uh, it, my meeting was interrupted by our our duty officer, who uh, is in charge and oversees all critical incidents when they happen. And uh, at that point, uh, I I turned on my radio and uh, I, I listened to the whole event unfold. Uh, which was, uh, again, I can't really find the words to explain it, but sitting in my office uh, listening to this and uh, knowing um, what was happening and, and, and the fact that officers were, were hit and, and going down at the time was uh, extremely moving and, and, and really shook me at that moment in time. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it did. Like, as part of the investigation, will you, will you guys be reviewing and how the incident response sort of unfolded like when you have six officers who've been who've been injured and hit by bullets here i mean is that an outcome that is just like in your mind as chief is that something that should not happen 
in, in an incident like this, or is this just, or was it almost like unavoidable at that point? Yeah, you know, in a situation like this, when it's dynamic, it's fluid. And and again, this was a patrol response uh, that was assisted uh, greatly by the Greater Victoria Emergency Response Team. Right. And all, all six of those members uh, that were that were shot and injured uh, were res- emergency response team members. Uh, now, in terms of uh, you know how this all unfolded, um, if you've seen the video footage, and with the the weapons that were used from the from the people, the suspects involved in this. Uh, Coming out of this with no no kind of injuries, no damage at all, I, I just I can't I can't understand how that is, would be possible. Um, I'm just so again so thankful that uh, the expertise, the professionalism, the courage, the bravery of patrol and the GVERT at that scene resolve this situation as quickly and as safely as possible. I can't, yeah. frankly, from my position, see how it could have been done any quicker. And let's, let's be reminded, not one citizen was injured in this right. horrific hail of gunfire that uh, was, again, resolved as quickly as possible. Yeah. You mentioned earlier the outpouring of response from the community to the news that these officers had been had been injured there's a, a GoFundMe online that has raised more than two hundred and fifty thousand dollars at this point far more than their original goal for the people who set it up which i think uh, indicates the type of response you've received from the community you touched on it a little earlier can you talk a little bit more about that like what you're hearing from the community what people are doing and saying yeah absolutely uh it is overwhelming the the outpouring of support through emails, letters, uh, flowers, um, you know, you name it. It has just been pouring into the Sanjay Police Department. And I know Victoria Police Department has been receiving the same. And, uh, you know, some of these cards and words that are are being shared by people throughout the community from ages like kids, uh, right through to our older uh, adult population, um, telling stories about how long they lived in Sanjay and how safe they feel. And it, it, it just really strikes you at the heart and the core of your soul when, when people share their hearts and their feelings on paper like that. And the phone calls every way you know possible has been happening. And the GoFundMe page was started by the Sanish Police Association and the Victoria Police Union. And that, that they're running with that. And again, that's another demonstration of the outpouring of support from the community. It's, it's truly amazing and making a big difference in all police here helping us move forward. All right, welcome back to the show. And let's talk about Hollywood now. Morning, three of the greats when it comes to gangster movies. These are three giant actors who portrayed uh, key roles in some of the some of the greatest gangster films and TV shows over the year. And we've lost them all in the last three months. Ray Liotta from Goodfellas. James Kahn from The Godfather, and one of my personal favorites, Tony Sirico, who played Polly Walnuts on The Sopranos, my favorite TV show. Boy, we've lost some giants here. Let's discuss with Kurt Smakel now. Kirk is a, Kurt is a movie podcaster, and he's our go-to guy at the movies here on the show. Hey, Kurt, thanks for coming on. Hey, Mike. How's it going? 
Um, it's going great. Thanks a lot. I'm a big fan of all three of these actors. I know I know you are as well. But boy, that that's mm-hmm. a big loss. So let's talk about all three of them here one by one. Let's start with Ray Liotta, and people will remember his the very first things he says in the Goodfellas movie here, setting up the movie. Let's have a listen to him here. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. To me, being a gangster was better than being president of the United States. Even before I first wandered into the cab stand for an after-school job, I knew I wanted to be a part of them. It was there that I knew that I belonged. To me, it meant being somebody in a neighborhood that was full of nobodies. Ray Liotta there and Goodfellas. Kurt, what are your thoughts on Ray's passing here? Yeah, Ray was such a great actor, and he was an actor that, uh, for the early part of his career, he was pretty much a straight man. He didn't really do any roles like gangster movies or anything like that, but uh, he lobbied hard for the role in Goodfellas, and obviously he got it. And uh, I think that was a real turning point in his career, because he started to be less the straight man and more of the tough guy gangster type. And uh, he kind of revisited that kind of a role in various other movies throughout his career, but nothing will be Goodfellas. Yeah, no, it really is a memorable film for sure. What do you think made him great in that movie? I think it's just the the utter confidence he has in that lifestyle and him thinking that no matter what, that's what he wants to be doing in his life. And, you know, as you sort of start to see that confidence wean over that movie, he does such a great job of portraying that. And as you see him start to realize that that lifestyle is the one that's going to do him in, you know, it's uh, certainly a realization for him. and He plays it so well. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he's just one of the the three giants we've lost here from the gangster film genre. Let's talk about James Caan, Sonny Corleone in The Godfather. Let's have a listen to James Caan here in The Godfather. What are you going to do? Nice college boy, huh? Didn't want to get mixed up in the family business? Now you want to gun down a police captain? Why, because he slapped you in the face a little bit? Huh? What do you think, this is the army where you shoot him a mile away? You got to get up close like this, and bing you blow their brains all over your nice Ivy League suit. Come here. You're taking this very personal. Tom, this is business, and this man is taking it very, very personal. That's a great scene there as well. James Caan. Your thoughts on James Caan in The Godfather, Kurt? I mean, he's such a classic actor in that role in particular. Uh, And in that movie itself, like, he has such a memorable presence in that movie, and... uh, Probably one of the more iconic uh, death scenes in any movie, that's for sure. So, yeah, uh, yeah, and, you know, uh, unlike a lot of other actors, James Conn really did a lot of different movies. I mean, yeah, The Godfather is probably his most well-known role, but he dabbled in a few different genres and tried a few different roles. He was not one to stay idle in in his uh, acting resume. He was trying a few different things throughout his career. Yeah, and James Conn... It was an interesting choice for him to play that role. He's not a, not Italian, right? But he's he just seemed born to play that role. Oh, 100%, yeah. He definitely plays the older brother type quite well. Yeah, for, for sure. Okay, let's talk about one of my favorites here. And this one sort of hit home a bit for me, Kurt. Tony Sirico, uh, Polly Walnuts from the, the Sopranos, my favorite TV show. Let's listen to a little bit of him here in The Sopranos. The boss and his family told you you're going to be Santa Claus. You're Santa Claus. So shut the f*** up about it. Okay. It's, it was tough to find some uh, Polly Walnuts clips from The Sopranos that didn't have the F-bombs uh, dropping uh, all the time. Kurt, your thoughts on Tony Sirico? 
Yeah, Tony is one of those actors. I mean, if you actually look at it, the number of actors that went from Goodfellas and went on to The Sopranos afterwards, I think there was in total 27 actors that came over from Goodfellas and ended up having roles in The Sopranos. But I think Tony is one of the actors where he had such a small part in Goodfellas, but in The Sopranos is where he really thrived. And he had such a great role there as Paulie. Uh, yeah, I think uh, it's interesting because if you look at his acting resume, he did quite a bit of kind of gangster-esque roles and all that, but I think it was uh, really The Sopranos that put him on the map, so to speak. Yeah, and also a hilarious character. I mean, I find The Sopranos is almost part comedy in a lot in a lot of ways. Some of the episodes are, are so funny. And Polly Walnuts, to me, was one of the the funniest characters. I mean, he had some of the most laugh out loud, laugh out loud lines in, in the whole show. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And it's interesting too, because he kind of had a bit of a storied history too. I think in the seventies, he got uh, caught in a restaurant with a gun and all this. So, <clears throat> you know, it's interesting that uh, for a lot of these actors, you know, they, they live the life, uh, separate from the movies, but really with uh, Tony, it's probably that wasn't that far off from what he was doing. Oh in the no, shows. that yeah. is that is so true. He was uh, he was a real life gangster before he got into acting, and yeah. he did a very memorable interview uh, about his life of crime before he got into acting. I mean, this guy did serious time and a lot of very very tough prisons in the united states listen listen to a little bit of this interview so this is actor tony sirico paulie walnuts on the sopranos uh, talking about his life as a real life gangster before he got into acting have a listen to this i started running with the wrong type of guys and uh i found myself doing a lot of bad things what'd you do i'm um, robberies taking off bookmakers i was a crazy kid made the time at sing sing Auburn. Walk Hill, I did time all over. Sing Sing. Man, this guy did time at Sing Sing. Like, this yeah. guy was the real deal. Your thoughts? Oh, 100%. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think when you you live those experiences, uh, for better or for worse, it translates to better acting. And I think uh, he kind of brought those experiences to the big and small screens, and it really turned out well for him. Uh, so yeah, interesting in the fact that, you know, not many actors can say they lived those experiences, but he said he definitely did. Yeah. And I guess that's one of the reasons why he was so, he was so great on screen as well. And so funny, there's a famous story from the Sopranos that when he agreed to take the role, he told David Chase, the creator of the Sopranos, he would only take it if he's, uh, if he was not portrayed as a rat. You know, he didn't want to be a rat in the show who betrayed his fellow gangsters because I guess mm -hmm. that's something he wouldn't. He says he would never have done in real life, and he wasn't going. <laughs> he wasn't going to do it on TV either. So I guess that was an agreement he had with with David Chase. Where do you rank The Sopranos on your personal list of TV shows? Uh, it's definitely in the top ten for sure. There's a lot of shows that I like, but definitely in the top ten for sure. And like you say, it's uh, almost more of a comedy than anything else. It's a very dark comedy, but definitely funny at many times. Okay, three greats um, being mourned by Hollywood after we lost them all here over the last three months. Ray Liotta, James Caan, and Tony Sirico. I hope they all rest in peace. Kurt, thank you for coming on to talk about them today. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Okay.